You're listening to Lost and Sound, a podcast exploring music, identity, and the future. My name's Paul Hanford. I've always believed that one of the best ways we come together is through music. And through this series, I'm looking at how music can and is bringing us together now and in the future. From my base in Berlin, we'll be meeting artists from a range of disciplines from all across the world who are drawing on music right now, some already exploring new ways of doing this. Today, I had a chat with Anna Meredith. Hey, how are you doing? I hope you're having a good day. I am. Just one of those, I hope you get them as well, these these unexpected little bouncy days that for no reason during lockdown, everything just feels a bit lighter and a bit more bouncy. I am recording this by the canal in Kreuzberg in Berlin, as I often do. And on the way here, it just felt like you could kind of feel the atmosphere that wasn't as oppressive as usual, like the joggers going past, the the people cycling, the, the, the walkers. There was a bit of a sort of a bounce and a lift in everyone today. It's funny, isn't it, how sometimes there's just like a sort of a kind of a collective, unspoken, just vibe because so much at the moment isn't like that you know so much is the minutiae of being in the same situation every day thinking am I going to have the courgette tonight or am I going to have the aubergine that I've been saving and that is an exciting part of the day but today it just felt yep within this realm there's a bit of bounce and today on the show you're about to hear what happened when I had a chat with Anna Meredith a few days ago I was really excited to talk with her because her musical landscape, her musical career, for lack of a better word, is to me so beguiling. The way she can put out music like the two albums that she's released recently that are kind of, I guess, in the electronic alternative pitchfork-esque type spear but then also be such a highly regarded classical composer as well is just i'm like wow about it and i remember the first time i heard her music was the track nautilus and i think it was like on six music or something and it's one of those tracks that just it's impossible to really define it feels more like a physical object than than a style of music or anything like that it, it's such a kind of imposing in a way forceful shape of sound and we do talk a little bit about that 
as well as the shape of sound. I mean, how many people can say they've been awarded an MBE by the Queen and released music on indie label Moshi Moshi? Anna Meredith had been a composer in what you might call the classical realm for 15 years until she started branching out. Her second LP, Fibs, was nominated for the 2020 Mercury Prize. She won the 2019 Ivan Novello Composer Award for Innovation, and not only that, she was Goldie's mentor on the TV show Classic Goldie. The list of achievements goes on, and amongst other things, I was really fascinated to learn what unites all her output. This is me chatting with Anna Meredith on Friday, January the 22nd, 2021. Where are you based? I'm, I'm in Berlin. Oh, are you? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, it must feel great to not be in the UK. <laughs> it's a phone where are you in London? I'm in London, yeah. Yeah, what what is it like in London at the moment? I mean, I don't know if it feels I mean I've got friends outside London saying, Oh god, you know, are you okay? It looks awful there and I it doesn't prop I mean to me it doesn't feel any different than it did in previous lot you know, it's just obviously weird, but it's not like you you know, it's not like rats have taken over and there's sort of you know, <laughs> discarded masks built in mountains or whatever. It, it's it's fu- I mean, it's weird, but it's fine. I mean, obviously the government and everything is awful, but mm. in terms of how it actually feels in London, feels okay. I mean, odd. And I'm lucky I'm, I'm in a studio that's not my house, so it's great to have somewhere to go. Oh, that's good. So it's, it's not like the end of Planet of the Apes, where there's <laughs> Charlton Heston on the street kind of going wild. Um, you know, it's not like I'm on top of a sort of, you know, like, Kong, like climbing some sort of like mountain of old Primark bags and sort of climbing my way to top. But maybe we're not far off. I mean, it's possible. You never, you never know. Way. You never know. Um, yeah. do, you feel, do you feel optimistic about about the vaccine going round? Yeah, I do feel optimistic mm. about the vaccine. Uh, I mean, maybe I think like like a lot of people, you know. I had this vision, I don't know, this naive idea that it would hit 2021 and suddenly it would be on the homeward and obviously it's been much worse. The last few weeks has been the worst. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm now, I'm too, I feel kind of cautious to know about when to start feeling like normality might resume because everything I've put in has been cancelled, was postponed and it's sort of so depressing. That, But yeah, generally, long term, trying to feel pretty optimistic. How about you? Um, yeah, same. I mean, I've kind of like, without meaning to sound gloomy, and I mean this in a kind of hopefully optimistic way, but I've just decided to treat this year like last year, really. Um, mm. I, I kind of feel that, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, it's going to take, they predicted most of the year for the vaccine to kind of go around. Right. And so I'm kind of sort of thinking, well, I mean, I kind of, it's, it's, I think in terms of my own personal well-being, like, mm. I'm, you know, the, the summer is more relaxed, you know. Yeah. With carefulness, like you can kind of get on and do quite a lot of things and, yeah. and stuff, and then, and then really, so I don't know. It's just seeing it through these winter months, really. I feel. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, What's I the do, rules there about? Can you get out, or is anything open, or restaurants and stuff open? Um, you can get takeouts. Right. Um, yeah, and like I'm, I'm a coffee junkie, so. Right. Um, 
I've been kind of like, you know, putting my mask on every day and then it's like one in and one out in coffee shops um, yeah. and stuff. So that's been like a nice little lifeline. But you can't sit around anywhere either. You have yeah. to kind of, kind of keep walking or um, people perch on cars. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's, I think it feels definitely, I think there was a little bit of a, the end of last year, there was a little bit of a kind of a heel dragging to mm. it. You know, people are like, oh, God. But I feel like now, in terms of when I've, I go for, for a walk every day, and I do, it does feel that people move out of the way for each other, you know. Yeah. You know, it does feel a lot more like people are just kind of getting down and going, come on, let's just get this done, really. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a sense of, I think general, well, I, I sense, yeah, people want it to be hard now so it can be easier later. And we're in mm. this shit weather and... You know, let's just let's just burrow in and hibernate and get through it. So if do, if making it stricter now will mean it's less strict later, I think people would be up for that. Um, but it does feel, I don't know. Do you feel like it's remotely getting spring? Do you feel the days are getting longer? Um, I I have noticed. I don't know about you, but I've noticed in lockdown I've become really into the the, the details of daily life you know in a very sort of mm. in a very alan mm. bennett's kind of detailed way <laughs> and i have noticed right. it's getting dark a little bit later here it's usually it's about half four now so um i do feel that like i mean berlin is just notoriously cold until about yeah. March. then right. suddenly it just becomes suddenly you just see people in t-shirts you know but yeah um, I, I feel like you know we've, we've done about half of winter it feels yeah yeah no i so i know what you mean though i've become like um and any little home, and my sister got me for Christmas, he's really cool, this box of grow your own mushrooms. And, <laughs> and, they've just, and they grow like really quickly and they're really tasty. Um, but yeah, I've become completely like every day I'm there, you know, monitoring them, measuring them and obsessing <laughs> over them. It's like some creepy parent, mushroom parent. And, creepy yeah. mushroom parent. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is literally my life. You're like, oh, I wonder if they've grown overnight. Oh, they grew up so fast, you know, weeping as I cut them. You know, yeah. Kind of stuff. So yeah, definitely. The minutiae has been, has been given a, an intriguing elevation, right? Yeah, no, totally. And do you, do you feel as well, like, say, when everything's over, do you think we're all going to sort of have um, things that we have to kind of sort of shrug off? To kind God, of get that's such a good question. Society? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, because so, I was chatting the other day, I mean, I feel like it's obviously been such a long time since I, started, since I went to the pub or... Mm. And it's def I definitely won't want to do a Zoom instead of that. It won't be like, oh no, I love the great awkward chat with like eight people <laughs> where you're all talking over each other. You know, terrible. But maybe there will be like a weird adjustment, if that's what you mean about mm. how to sort of get back into it. I don't know. I mean, I, I, if the idea of a like sweaty gig feels very far away. I mean, Glastonbury's yeah. just, Jack Glastonbury's just cancelled yesterday. And I wonder if that will mean generally festivals this year, which I think we're waiting to see what's going to happen, will follow suit. And obviously that's the second year. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can imagine it's a classical music world or theatre world finding ways a bit earlier. But um, I, yeah, I don't know whether we'll just suddenly be, you know, feel fine. I hope, I sort of hope so. I kind of, I wonder if this is something we're going to have to talk about, like the war. You know, we're going to have to talk about it for years. Yeah, I think so. Like, um, do you remember? I remember when I was a kid, there was an advert mm. um, about like 
uh, condoms where like this old war vet would get out this kind of ancient style oh, of yeah. condom and he'd say was this it called Geron- Geronimo that's right yeah. Geronimo this is Geronimo I wonder if we're going to be like that about masks you know like you know, this right. is this is Betty I don't call my mask Betty by the way but it's um, you know I, I wonder if there, there's definitely going to be a lot of I, I don't know it's weird I think it's going to take a long time and we don't really mm. know what's going to but if, if you found if you you sort of mentioned about Glastonbury being cancelled mm. if you have you been kind of committed to festivals this year that you've found that aren't happening? Um, only one um, has has actually, what's the word, um, confirmed or contracted mm. us, which is in September. It's called End of the Road. And other ones that we played last year, like Latitude and places like that, I haven't heard anything. I'm ex- expecting that they will also now cancel. So I yeah. think most of them were maybe... I mean, I'm saying this as if I'm sure they wanted me to play and that's why they haven't been in touch. <laughs> but, um, yeah, who knows? I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they, that, I mean, yeah, I, I suspect there's not been too many cancellations. I think most people are hedging their bets. And, you know, I, I suspect the idea of trying to do a distance festival is just impossible. So better to wait till you can do it properly, maybe. In, in terms of like lockdown last year, if you, mm. you strike me as someone that is just, I don't know whether it's just what we see of what comes out of what you do or whether mm. you're actually like this, but you seem to be someone that's very constantly doing stuff. Um, well, no, I mean, lockdown? you know what? I've been rubbish and I've done, I am normally really busy and... I have found I I have I have done some stuff. I've written some stuff, but nothing like the amount I could have written mm. if I was um it well, you know, the the, the the time I've had, you know, if I I could have filled it much more productively and I I felt for a really long time quite resentful of of this of that suddenly you, you know all the work that was being offered was kind of about lockdown or about the situation mm. or and you know, obviously there was that short flurry at the beginning where everything everybody seemed suddenly really excited about the idea of writing something for zoom or whatever and i and i i'd done absolutely shit loads of writing for the last few years and this year was meant or last year was meant to be was meant to be but you know like the focus was on touring and performing and i just didn't want to make that adjustment back to writing um for you know for a really long time I felt like well why should I you know just because you know which is churlish and pathetic but yeah no I've been very um unproductive and have written very little and I've spent a lot more time moping and watching old tv shows and feeling sorry for myself so um I'm I'm very impressed if I've given the illusion of doing stuff but I've done very little for a while, long time. <laughs> well, that's very honest of you. I mean, but I think also, I think I have actually spoken with quite a lot of other artists as well that, um, in terms of the first lockdown, actually, really, it was a really strange feeling to not be being busy. Um, mm. Like a lot of people suddenly realised, you know, I haven't spent this much time at home for for years. Did you find that yeah. as well? Yeah, there was definitely. I think it made me realise how much being busy had been my identity in so many ways for years you know it'd been the thing that you know how are you oh god I'm so busy and being busy and that sense of like flurry and fluster and and activity and 
and just you know not overthinking stuff because there's no time there's no time had been just part of my kind of makeup for or how I sort of thought of myself was just you know sort of just like bum you know trying to move along at a zillion miles an hour and suddenly when that was gone that was a yeah a bit of a, a, an eye-opener in terms of spending time and also how you think about yourself you know that kind of sense of who are who am I if I'm not mega busy mm. it was a bit of a like existential like oh Jesus what's left yeah <laughs> do you feel like you've come to terms with that um no not really I mean a bit more I, I mean I'm probably a bit more relaxed now about days that very little is achieved and um I think just now well my, my expectations are a lot lower now you know I, I, I assume very little and you know that small wins are are huge and you know I'm I, I also don't feel like I have any sense of where things will be in my world when stuff does start up but will anybody want us to do a gig will anybody be interested in the music I'm writing well you know things that maybe felt like they had a bit of momentum before I have no sense of, but obviously it's the same for everybody everyone's momentum has evaporated but mm. it's very hard to sort of have a sense of where you are in the world anymore I think and I think that as um, I don't know if you found it as well but as um as someone that's sort of like, I don't, I feel a bit reluctant sometimes using the word artist or creative because it feels a bit sort of excludery to people in a way. But, you know, right. someone that kind of makes stuff, um, mm. that there is this sort of feeling that I've always felt in my life, I think of some other artists have as well, or creative makers of things, that you, you kind of expect it to work really hard as a sort of self-validation. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, the, the sense of, um, yeah, self-validation is a perfect phrase. I mean, um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's almost embarrassing to realise how much that interaction with other people and playing gigs to people or was part of the process and that sort of sharing, you know, obviously a lot of work behind the scenes, but makes me realise that unfortunately I don't seem to be someone who's just writing stuff for the love of it. You know, like I want to do it to to share it with people, and um, yeah, and get, and you know, even less sharing people sounds too generous. Maybe it's purely as superficial as feeling like things matter when other people tell me they do or engage with it in some way. I don't know, but um, yeah. So when all that's gone, and it's only you who can tell you that something matters, um, yeah, that's a bit of a shift. Maybe it's healthy. I mean, it makes you sort of get back to what are your priorities, I suppose, a bit. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting way of looking. That's really honest as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. Like God. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I think it is something that I definitely feel that. And mm. I mean, your 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 work is so you know, there, there's different strands of it, and there's different things mm. you do. And like, I mean, talking about the kind of, I I don't know, pop albums. They're not pop, are they? They're pop. I don't know. Um, but the yeah, two know, albums yeah. <laughs> you did for Moshi Moshi, you know, they feel mm. kind of connected in a way. Um, yeah. And I know that there was a long period before you made music like that. Mm-hmm. Um, why was why did you spend so long before before Farmings came out? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, all my training and background is as a classical composer, and you know that's what I studied and. That world, um, especially at that time, which is like um, early 2000s, is very much you are as a composer, someone who writes music for other people, 
you know, a string quartet or an orchestra or whoever, and you write, you know, a score and you hand it over to them, and they play it quite often only once, and it's not recorded. There's no like record that this thing ever happened, and it's, um, you know, but it's this sort of private, isolated process, and, um, you know, and I guess going into that world, even though I'd done a lot of playing and I've been in bands and as a teenager and stuff, but you know, that was what I did my postgrad in or whatever, and it felt like that was sort of what my career was and I think it took me a long time to tap into this feeling of wanting more than that of wanting to be more involved or feeling that that balance of all this work in for something that happened once didn't feel right I didn't feel like the work in to output felt balanced you know that I'm creatively balanced I wanted something that would sort of exist and you could hold it or you could listen to it over again and and also, you know, that lack of autonomy that if you're writing for other people and they're suddenly in the one performance, they might suddenly play the piece the wrong speed or mess it up. Whereas with electronics, obviously, there's a consistency and a control that you can make yourself. So this took me a really long time to figure all that stuff out. And then I think start writing electronics because I could be, even though I didn't know anything about electronics, um, but just be like, OK, I'm just going to get on with it anyway. And... You know, figure that out. And I did two EPs bef- with Moshi before I did Varmints. But um, even getting the courage and the like, um, just um, motivation. Because no, you know, I've been used to that point being only being commissioned. People asking me for stuff and paying for stuff and deadlines and a lot of infrastructure to, and just trying to do something off my own back took a long time. So yeah, I don't really have a great answer as to why it took me so long. I suppose it was just where I'd come from and. A long time to to figure out what I needed to do about this feeling of wanting to sort of broaden my career a bit. It's so funny because with with um, um, Nautilus, for example, like mm. it, I heard this tune for a couple of years before I put your name to it. Like it was just it's such a sort of like it feels like the world's kind of opening up when you listen to it. That that, that <laughs> sort of ascending thing. Like I mm. mean, it's got. I'd hear it like every now and then, like on on like sort of six music or something. I'd be like, what is that's like? It's I don't know. I couldn't work out if it was like contemporary classical or sort of like some. It could have been like from some amazing film that I wanted to see that I've never seen or, right. or something like that. You know. And wh- where mm. did that? How did that, because that leaves me feeling so sort of exhilarated, you know, I mean, do you, do you get a rush when you compose something like that? I mean, definitely um, trying to make stuff that's quite visceral is really mm. important to me and trying to make stuff that feels intense in whatever capacity, whether that's unbearably, t- you know, awkward or grotesque and I'm very interested in the kind of feeling of yeah stuff that creates a physical visceral feeling in your body and that you know things that start to feel like oh you know almost unbearable in those moments of like you needing a needing release of some way or of um or of juxtaposing ideas that feel really incongruous just for the kind of uh impact of you know, meshing those two things together. So I spend a lot of time in the planning stage to to try and make the best context of the ideas I have, to try and make them as bold or as silly or as euphoric or or as joyful or silly or, you know, whatever it is I think something could be. I spend a lot of time planning. Um, I, I draw these sort of maps to 
map out the, the timeline of the music and to work out where something will have the biggest impact in terms of when it would be, you know, when do I want a beat to enter if there's a beat or when do I want a particular line to come in that would make it feel like a big lift or a big reveal or... So yeah, I mean, I'm trying, I am thinking a lot about impact and and that physical feeling of, of especially if there's stuff, I quite often do things where you change the shift of a, a beat so you have mm. something feels like it's in one feel and then another element comes in that a cross rhythm basically that helps you see something hear something in a different pulse and in order to find the right time to do that you need to set up the first thing enough so that it's in your body enough that when the second thing comes in and butts up against it that you you can you know you still remember the first thing enough to, for that to feel awkward and then maybe you make the shift into the second feel that sounds a bit nerdy but it's just that feeling of finding the right t- moment in time to make these to make that sort of physical feeling work yeah it's it's um and the way you sort of talk about using blocks as well it sort of feels like um do you think about music in a visual context as well? Because in a way, it sounds like you're talking about, like it's almost like you could be like a film director, the way you're talking about the music. Yeah, in fact, I'll, I mean, this is very unusual for a podcast. I will just quickly show you. Um, I do. When I, uh, these sketches that I write, so I do these drawings. Um, right. These sort of architectural drawings, which basically look like kind of schematics for rockets. Um, on their site, they're sort of things that show a timeline, a, a horizontal line that shows a timeline, and then big, tr- yeah, sort of architectural triangular shapes that show musical ideas in in um, in context across uh, across a sort of A4 bit of paper, basically. Where I do that to map out how how ideas are going to build or progress, and that's my first step with any kind of bit of music I write, a bit of music for film, orchestral piece. Um, electronic track I do this sort of drawing stage and what I like about it is apart from me it gives me a map and it means that I'm never just like improvising or setting down I've got an idea of what I'm trying to do but um, it also means that when I'm working with people from other art forms you know directors or choreographers or visual artists that we can all talk about this thing and look at it it's not saying here's my score um, you know, let's talk about bar 56. It's saying here's this moment where the shape condenses and starts to build up again, and it's a bit more universal, I think. You grew up in, where did you grow up? In Edinburgh. Oh, amazing. Yeah, mm. I, I went to university. Well, I've, I've been to university a couple of times because, like, I failed the first time. I was kind of <laughs> a bit of a dr- drunk fresher, but I went, to, <laughs> I went to Queen Margaret College. Oh, yeah, yeah. Christophen and stuff mm. in the 90s. and. Right. Uh, and stuff. Did you were you part of like a kind of a music scene in Edinburgh? I mean, very much classical music mm. scene. So I grew up. Edinburgh has or had, and I hope still has, an incredible after-school music program for kids. That you know, whatever stage or age you're at, you could join a a wind band or an orchestra or a Strathspey real like a Scottish music group or a choir or a jazz band and you know you'd move through the different levels and that was kind of what got me into music at all was it was sort of a social thing but you know it was brilliant and we did I did that every day I did some kind of music after school and so that was when I was at school um yeah and it was just uh I guess being part of that music making in the middle of that was was really important to me none of the bands I played in were any good but um yeah that kind of like or you know playing in orchestra was really important mm. to me at that time 
Do you think, though, I mean, you said none of the bands are in a good, like, I mean, do you think it's like a, it's a bit of a rite of passage, though, sometimes, isn't it, to be in, in like, a kind of a, an indie band playing in pubs to begin with? Yeah, I think so. I didn't even get to that point. I mean, I definitely thought at that point I was going to be a like orchestral clarinetist. So right. the bands were more like schoolmates mucking about rather than anything, um, you know, even getting to the pub sticks. Where, you know, I was young, at this age, I'd be like 14, 15. Mm. And then once I started studying and I was studying, you know, just classical music, I didn't do anything sort of band or... Um, you know, gig related for a very long time. In fact, it wasn't until after my postgrad, um, where a bunch of other composers who I did my postgrad with, and I all started to tap. You know, have this feeling of lack of control and of you know that we you know you sort of pushed out the postgrad system until like sit back and wait for the commissions to roll in, and we all sort of felt. You know, we we started to put on these little gigs in Camberwell in South London in this jazz club. We called ourselves the Campbell Composers Collective and it was a really important reclaiming, I think, where we would just write pieces for ourselves or for each other and with visuals and lots of experimenting. And that was the first bits of electronics I did, but it was more that sense of taking ownership and not just being part of the sort of um, sitting back and, you know, waiting for other people to ask you to do stuff. So that was kind of the first getting into performing myself and band stuff I'd done for years at that point. Mm. And so you talk about like taking ownership. Um, do you think in like um, kind of classically trained um, educational things, there's there's more of an like like maybe with fine art or something, there's more of an expectation to follow uh, like a, a kind of a pattern of approval. Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know if it's approval. I think there was just an idea that you that you find your you know that you find your compositional voice and and you that's it and that's the one thing you do for example when i did my postgrad there was two composition departments there was the one i can't remember ours was just called composition i think but it basically meant art house or composing for um, stages and there was a separate postgrad running simultaneously called composition for screen and we never shared a single class or lecture or met each other or hung out you know it seems insane to me now you know there's so much we could have probably learned from each other and you know, I think our feeling was wrongly that they were probably like sellouts with no voice, and they probably rightly thought we were pretentious assholes. And you know, and, I, and, that, and that, so it's that. I think it's that sort of at that point feeling of, you know, that one is a craft composition, composing for screen or composing quotes commercial music mm. is is a is, is 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 a craft where you're not following any kind of voice, whereas. Com- composing for concert hall is my muse and I'm in my ivory turret with my quill mm. and you know I think the two felt like sort of different things somehow yeah yeah and, and that's really interesting you talk about the muse and, and sort of being in the, the ivory tower and like mm. there's a sort of very kind of like western academic kind of sort of uh, approach of like the lone composer suffering for their art right and stuff so like that's that. quite a, I suppose that's relatively because, like, you know, that, I think, came out of, like, romantic era. You know, you've got, like, Berlioz mm. and uh, Mahler and even, you know, so that basically was, like, post-Beethoven who kind of engineered this sort of, uh, my my voice. But before that, you know, classical composers, Mozart era, are all, like, craftsmen writing billions mm. of pieces. You know, you want something for your wedding? No problem. You need something for your mass? I can do it, you know. And that, that, that was, I think, a slightly different function or a way that you perceived composers. It was a bit more... Yeah, a bit more kind of, of a craft person. I mean, from, from the stages of composing for other people and, and stuff, and going back to, 
the albums that you've made of, of your own music, did you have to go through any kind of process yourself of kind of releasing certain kinds of identity issue or like sort of approaches that you had to sort of shrug off about mm. how you see music and the process of music? I think I'd learned that, um, uh, well, one that I, you know, I'd written a few pieces, sort of orchestra or chamber music pieces, where mm. I tried to bring some sort of aspect of what I liked about electronics in, but in quite an overthought way, looking back on it now, you know, it was quite... I wasn't bold enough to just, you know, put a beat in if it needed a beat. I would worry mm. too much that it would have the signifiers of suddenly being pop music and, ooh, what would that mean? And everyone would think it was shit and, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> and I think, you know, so some of that stuff was in my head, but I think I also figured out that for me, it wasn't, um, it made sense to stay writing as myself. I didn't make mm. like a side pro, I didn't call myself something else. And which I know helps some other artists sort of separate out different ways of the, that they write, that they have this name for this band and they use this instrumentation and this name for this project or whatever. But for me, I thought, you know, this is my thing. You know, this is the only thing like this that I do. And I, cause I use exactly the same approach to writing it, it wasn't like I was suddenly using a different software, even though the final thing is different, but the actual creative approach is the same. So it never felt like too much, um, it's only it's, it's only ever been internal ideas about confidence and mm. worrying about in hindsight totally irrelevant stuff about ooh what you know does what would I don't know does it does is it classical and then once I've stopped worrying about any of that stuff it it doesn't nothing it doesn't seem to matter because um, I think you could definitely overthink too much about where things sit or you know does having a, a a drum kit and a tuba in your band mean that it's a particular type you know what what does that say and I, if you just say well who cares it's just sounds then it's all seems very simple so I think it, it was only ever the confidence to write the stuff that I wanted to write um, and I enjoyed writing and you know if I wanted to put something in um, I, I would just do it and um, not worry too much about whether that pushed it into one type of music or another Do you feel, do you feel a lot more confident with that now? Yeah, definitely don't feel worried. There's definitely a lot of that, certainly, that worries about, I don't know, what my other composers think seems, you know, everyone's been, you know, composers I do know have all been super supportive and into mm. it and lovely and, you know, I'm sure it's not a lot, you know, I'm sure for a lot of people from that world, this music might seem really um, garish or um, crude or... Uh, unacademic or you know all sorts of that sort of stuff but um that's fine and um yeah I I I think I'm now you know confident in knowing how I need to write and what I need to do to write which is you know not listen to music not do you know I get into a little like technical burrow of what it is I need to do and get on with it so I think it's taken me a while to figure out that kind of setup of distractions that aren't really helpful and relevant and try and ignore them <laughs> yeah yeah I, I haven't made music for years but I remember like it took me a long time to kind of cut out a lot of of like you know I don't know I just like I'd kind of try not to be influenced by things but whatever record I bought most recently I'd find mm. myself like trying to work out how it was made and, right 
you know, and then I'd make a tune that sounded like it, and I'd be like, oh, I've done it again, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really difficult. It took me a really, I mean, basically, I don't listen to any music at all now. I listen mm. to uh, audiobooks. Um, but, uh, you know, I listen to stuff that friends have written or if someone you know, mm. really wants me to, but I don't listen out of curiosity. You know, it, I felt quite embarrassed about it for a long time and I used to get asked a lot about, hey, let's listen to your playlist, I bet it's bonkers. And I was thinking, it's all Pet Shop Boys, you know. <laughs> it's like George Michael and Pet Shop Boys. And that's, you know, I, I'll listen to stuff like that because it's nostalgic and it, it doesn't, mm. you know, it's not like... You know, exactly like you, when I started writing electronics, you know, I was thinking, oh, I need to try and do something a bit like um, James Blake or whatever. And of course, whatever you did just ended up being like a shit version of their thing. So I figured out, for me, it's much healthier to just be tapping into what's going to be a good shape or what's going to be a good um, impactful idea and working on that on my own terms, which is a bit boring to describe to other people because I think people always want you to have an external influence of mm. you know I was inspired by this painting or this breakup or this whatever and you're like no it's just these shapes <laughs> <laughs> no I like that but isn't there also like you're sort of talking about like you know maybe maybe you, I don't know if maybe you mean more just in a casual playlist way like George Michael or, or, mm. or something but I, I, I don't want to put words into there but I, I find like you know I, I've there's something about like just those music like say rather than James Blake which I love but like mm. something like George Michael or or like you know Wham or or something like that where you know there is a sort of a shape to good music that doesn't really matter like what era it is or mm. or like mm-hmm. what what the kind of sort of technical armor of how it's kind of how the drum machines sound because of the, the equipment available at the time or something like that. Mm. There's a sort of essence of music that sort of snakes through the years anyway, doesn't it? So it doesn't really mm. matter if it's George Michael or, or the latest No, no, I mean, thing. I think it's... I'm just more likely to know it if it's older because I used to listen to more music. Right. So the stuff I'm listening to tends to be stuff that I listened to as a teenager or, you know, in my 20s a bit more. And, um, um, yes, but you're absolutely right, I think... It doesn't matter you know, if it's good, it's good. And you know, I'm absolutely big fan of the old of of, of any kind of numbers of disgusting cheese. And um, um, yeah, I uh, doesn't matter. And I'm, I'm and I'm embarrassingly incurious as well. Your idea of mm. trying to figure out how something's made. I, 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 again, I don't seem to have that. You know, I listen to how something's someone else's good thing, but I won't be there agonising over what EQ is that and what synth that they use. So I was like, oh, all right, that's fine. And actually. Probably, I, I now know that to then say, I wonder if I could do that would just be a really unhelpful question to ask myself. <laughs> so you know you're kind of getting more comfortable and familiar with your limits and also like right. sort of... But do you think through limits as well, it's, it's actually other things open up? For me, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I would much rather... when I'm asked, When I am writing a piece for someone else, I tend to always... You know, like I'd rather write a piece about something tiny than something huge. Because if you write a piece about something tiny, you can look at it from every angle and explode out from it and push the parameters of it. But if you're trying to write a piece about something huge, you're trying to gather it up like water and get a feel for it and trying to control it. And so, um, yeah, I think limits are, are are really useful. Whenever I'm te- you know helping people with compositions, you know, I'm always saying set some rules and say you know it's only going to be this long or it's only going to have these notes or it's only going to have these instruments and you know, sometimes I find it's when anything can happen that stuff loses 
loses impact or loses identity because it can be anything and so you know it wanders around too much or it loses kind of control yeah so. yeah I mean it's like sort of definitely it's like with films again as well it's like I've, I remember like the, reading an interview of the Coen brothers and they were sort of mm. said that their, their main job as directors is to be in charge of tone um, interesting Right. Yeah, yeah, like so rather than just anything happening, it's just got to go within this range. Right, that's really it. nice. Yeah, that, 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 I mean, knowing their stuff as well, that makes, yeah, tone is, is a really nice word. I think I sort of try and, I like, you know, I quite often, again, when I'm talking to other people, I sort of say, I would like someone else to be able to listen to your music and, and to be able to describe, oh yeah, that was the track with the, and think of one single word. That, you know that described it doesn't matter if it's the right word but I think if you can give character to something and you know a way of describing you know something in a few words musical or not musical words doesn't matter but it's 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 about um, clearly conveying a, a distinct character to each idea you have yeah I mean well totally well I mean again going back to talking about Nautilus then that just mm. does that for me it, to me Whenever I hear it, it's like it sounds like a physical object to me. It's got this mm. such a sort of power to it, you know. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're the only guest or the first guest I've ever had on the show that has an MBE. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> How do we address you? Uh, as a sir, sir Anna Meredith, sir. please. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, no, 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 no. Unfortunately, very little uh, fun ways to use it so far. I'm not even really mm. sure quite when it will open. All the free freebies start flooding in. Uh, you know, apart from a, a fun day at the palace, but that seems to be it. Right. So th- that I mean. So when was this in 2019? Oh. It, uh, you know what? It was last year. It was the start right. of yeah. It was early. It was about a year ago, basically. So just before. Uh, so mm. basically, the the palace was still open, and yeah, I'm talking about yeah. the palace like it's a shop. It's like the palace. Is still open. <laughs> <laughs> like you can just walk in there normally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's Anna Meredith. Thanks so much, Anna, for chatting with me on. Friday the 22nd of January 2021 really really enjoyed when I was like listening back to that this morning hearing her talk and really loved so much the way she was talking about in such a frank and open way about her process and in a way, kind of really like unromanticizing what is so often kind of shrouded in mystery and romanticism. And yeah, I totally get that. I'm definitely someone that when I used to make music would put as much of a big cloak of romanticism over it and the, the midget and the magic of the process. And for her to kind of so openly share, particularly about this kind of idea of the shapes I think it's just so helpful and so illuminating and I feel like in a way much more connected to all of these different radical spheres of music that so often are so opposed through her doing that than I would usually. I hope you enjoyed listening. I'll be back again next week. It's getting rather cold now so I'm going to go in and have some lunch. Take care.
Thank you for listening. Lost and Sound is written and produced by me, Paul Hanford. Title music by ESO. A big thanks to Kieran Yates in the UK for mastering the levels. And this episode is being hosted by Bear Radio. And you can check out other English language podcasts from Berlin by going on bearradio.org. And if you enjoyed listening, please hit subscribe and leave a comment. It really does help. And also, if you'd like to help with the production costs of making Lost and Sound, you can buy me a digital coffee at coffee.com. Link in the socials. Take care and speak to you soon.